Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. And welcome, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and... I am Don Sam Alden. Hey, Don. So we have a fun episode today for we everybody. Do. We have a wonderful episode and a wonderful guest. Yeah, we're going to talk about the ancient symbol of female power, the Sheila Nagig, and we'll be talking about it with Star Goody. Hi, Star. Hello. <laughs> welcome, welcome. So Star came to us uh, from Vicky Noble, our erstwhile, practically third uh, co-host of our podcast. Indeed, yes, the fabulous Vicky Noble. And um, we are super excited to have Star on our podcast to talk about the Sheila, the Sheila's, I should say. So... Um, without further ado, uh, we'd love to have you give us a, a little bit of uh, your background and tell us what you would like our listeners to know about you, Star. Well, I wrote this book called Sheila Giggs, The Dark Goddess of Sacred Power, which we will be discussing who and what they are. But backstage, Dawn, you asked me um, how I would like to be known or what could I say that I hadn't said before. And I would like to say that I would be like to known, be known as a woman who was part of the spirit of her times, part of the return of the goddess, because I see the return of the goddess as being the psychic event of our era, as if the earth for her very survival were erupting in images of the goddess um, through all levels of culture. And something else I would like to be known for that I don't say is I would like to be known as a playful spirit, one who recognizes the need of to play, meaningless activity that renews the creative spirit and keeps us juicy and delighted in life. And I would also like to talk about the imagination um, which is a part of my book that doesn't get talked about as much because the power of the Sheila is in the image and how whatever people might have written about or not written about her, we can't deny the power of the image that penetrates into our body, into our conscious, into our unconscious. And she, the way she stimulates our imagination and disrupts old patriarchal narratives about the inferiority of women because I think that imagery or symbolic thinking is the oldest way that people have interpreted reality. And one thing I would like to say is I love the Sheila and the gigs. And that's some of what oh. I have to say. <laughs> that is wow. I love that is all of that. That amazing. is so wonderful. And yes, a spirit of play is so necessary. So necessary for us to, you know, survive trying times like this. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, from from your mouth to the goddess's ears, to paraphrase an old saying, I, I love the idea of, of a return of the goddess, uh, 
awareness or presence. Or absolutely. Yes, yes, 100%, Sean. <laughs> Yes, well we are we are hoping to make matriarchy great again and part of that is um you know an awareness of, of reverence for dancing with the spirit of the great goddess. Yeah. This is a great place. Particularly with Star what you've just said and what Dawn follow up with the the basic premise of well the main thing we're going to talk about today which is of course the Sheila gig and the big idea which I think you've already basically uh brought out, you know, this idea of the return of the goddess. Would that be correct to characterize that what we're kind of going to be discussing will be around that and how the Sheelanda gig is part of that? Yes, I, I would say that. And that the Sheelanda gigs who uh, were created, they're medieval figures between the 12th and 17th century, but they're actually a thread of that civilization of the goddess that goes back uh, to Paleolithic culture and is worldwide. And that really the icon of the vulva is really a basis of civilization. If you really um, study archaeology and history and prehistory and to re-sacralize all of life and the female body. And yes, of course that would include males, Sean, to give us our rightful place in the uh-huh. life, because if we're all offspring of the great mother, then it's all sacred. And, that I want to, even because these words are um, have returned to the zeitgeist. What I was saying, you know, uh, pussy, pussy reclamation. It's a New York Times bestseller book, or you know, who else said he like grab pussies or pink pussy hats or um, the vagina monologues and different words that are returning. But that I would like my work to feel that that I give it a solid historical and prehistorical foundation so that we have a symbol. I think the Sheila's, the big idea, here you go, Sean, is that the Sheila's, the image of the is a great symbol for men and women to know about their natural history, about their true natural heritage, which involves um, Mother Earth and involves the the spirit of renewal. Because the the ever-renewing life force is so embodied in the image of the vulva. And that's that's really the essential thing of goddess culture is birth, death, and renewal, the ever-renewing life force. Renewal. Right, yes, could, yes. Could you describe the, just for the listener who may not be familiar, we'll certainly have an image of it up, but what is the Sheila gig? What does it look like? And where is it found? All right. The Shilinigig, as we said before, medieval figures that appear on Catholic churches, you know, between the 12th and the 17th century, they have a particular time and epoch. And there's stone carvings that appear on these churches. And, of course, the essential image is that she has a very exaggerated vulva. Often she's pulling the lips, her labial lips, (laughs) labial lips, apart. to 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 do a fierce exhibition of her sexuality there's no two ways about it that she is a female but of course she's a supernatural female and what is she doing on these churches and later she appears and again she's in ireland in the british isles and that's where she appears in these mid this you know four or five hundred century um time span and then she appears first on churches then later on town walls, or you can see her on secular buildings. You can see her on tombs, by holy wells. Uh, 
and she so she appears in all these places uh, on standing stones. So the question is, is what is she doing there? What's her function? And that's what I spend 300 pages in my book trying to discuss. <laughs> wow. can, can I jump yes, in? And we will, we will definitely, before the podcast is over, uh, give our listeners more information about where they can get your book because um, yes, it's fantastic. But uh, uh, Sean, sorry. Sorry, I just had a quick question because one of the things we've been talking about, Don and I have been doing a, a starter series that we talked about with Vicky about the idea of the war against the goddess, the idea that now in academia, these notions, the notions of old Europe, of the matriarchy, of the goddess, are all being un, are, are all under attack. So one of the things that I had found in reading about the Sheila and reading about your research on it is that there are some who say that these are not symbols of women with their vulva, that these are the fool exposing his heart to the devil. What do you say in response to that? These aren't well, that, that was George Lewis, who was an antiquarian in the 19th century. Um, you know, in the 19th century, antiquarians who were forerunners of archaeologists were sent all around because in Ireland and in the British Isles, they have Neolithic culture there. But the Sheilas, of course, are medieval figures. And he wrote that about, so they sent these um, surveyors out to uh, to list uh, artifacts in the countryside. And that is about the Kilpeck Sheila, which is probably the most famous Sheila. It's on a Romanesque church in Southwest England. And excuse me, George, but you know, that is a fool opening. <laughs> you know, it's a vulva, George. And if you can't see it, part of, you know, your own repressive culture that you can't see it. So it's just gaslighting. It's whitewashing. It, I'm telling you, yeah, yeah. it's a vulva. Yeah, yeah, that it's it's, part of it's uh, gaslighting is a yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, gaslighting is a wonderful way to put it. Yeah, it's like what you're seeing is not what you're seeing. No, really, it's not what it looks like. <laughs> it's, it's like it's the it's the old Groucho Marx line. Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> many different interpretations of the Sheila. One book. Uh, it's called Images of Lust, uh, that, that she's just an image of sin, that she's a warring against sin. She's a sermon in stone, that she's just there to warn an illiterate populace against, you know, uh, the female sin was uh, sexuality, male sin was avarice. So they're there to warn against that. But hmm. to me, it's if you look at a female body and if you see something sacred or do you see or do you demonize it? It's how do you see it? But but also it's ridiculous because there's a thread throughout um, millennia of Europe, uh, you know, tens of thousands of years of goddess worship. And Christianity is just a thin veneer on top of that. So, uh, you know, the roots in the shield has roots in the soil of Europe and there's no it can be no surprise to us that we see a goddess on these churches. So that's what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also where they appear, hmm. like they're not, they're not in places that would, that would indicate that it is a, a sermon against sin. Correct. Well, they're in, they are where they are and you can interpret it as a sin or not. 
I mean, they're on these churches. Some of they start off on corbel tables in northern France and then come into a tremendous age of pilgrimage, you know, like the Canterbury Tales and the figure of the Sheila exhibitionist figure migrates to the British Isles in Ireland. And uh, they become on churches and then later on more secular buildings, like I said, castles and tombs and holy wells and stuff. So I lost my thread. So they're there. there. And are you seeing it? How are you seeing it? Are you seeing it as evil or sacred? Who's looking at it? Yes, yeah. What you see is what you bring to it, almost, yeah. Uh, So this this is something you say occurs that you you tie to both Old Europe, which is the Gambutas terminology, which listeners to this podcast should be very familiar with, talk about it all the time, and also to 12th century. So can you talk a little bit more about how it's connected to this Old Europe and how, and also why does it suddenly appear at the 12th century? Why do we suddenly see these things? I don't uh, show up. Why are they? Sudden. It's not sudden. It's, oh, okay. It's okay. a rhizome. It's a root that's flowering. Uh, hold on. There's. A, I have to shut my window. Okay, I'll, I'll pause it. First thing that I try and show is that she connects back to Celtic culture. Okay. There's the Celtic okay. goddess of sovereignty. There's the divine Celtic hag. Then she goes back to classical figures like. Balbo or Medusa. Medusa is a fierce figure whose vulva is her face. And of course, Balbo is known for uh, exposing her vulva to Demeter and bringing life back to Earth. Then she goes back to the Neolithic frog goddess, who has many functions and appearance similar to Sheila's. And then back to the Paleolithic caves, where she's a predominant figure, which many scholars like Alexander Marshak, Vicky mentioned too, uh, says that this is a universal symbol known with a story known to all to people in the culture. So she's rooted back. She doesn't come out of nowhere. She she's she comes back okay. from from the deepest roots of human culture. And also to say this touches on something else you were asking me about her um, monstrosity appearance. She connects with Celtic traditions of sculpture. Like if you look around in Ireland and traveled around this, I have from north to south, you see many, many images of fierce heads, which is the Celtic worship of the heads and monstrous sort of figures in stone. So she's just, and that's why there's more Sheila's in Ireland than any place else, because she connects with their sculptural traditions and with their myths, which had the divine hag who transforms to the goddess of sovereignty. The Sheila's are found in locations and guard the territory that was once guarded by the um, goddess of sovereignty. So she doesn't come out of nowhere. She has roots going back to the beginning mm-hmm. of culture. Wonderful. So her her roots are, in, in terms of just looking through the geography of it, she's found mostly in Ireland, but she is also found in throughout the British Isles, in England, Scotland, Wales, yeah. and then in some parts of Europe, um, Italy, I believe, is, uh, and Norway and Spain. So her birth, so she seems to well up from Ireland. What about that tradition? I know you mentioned in some uh, interviews that I've seen about the fact that the Romans hadn't made their foreway so deeply into Ireland, so the earlier religions were still alive. Is that, I mean, is that part of it? Is that why this kind of flowered there so much? 
they were never in Ireland. They never right. did Ireland. So, so uh, there was more of a continuity of, of the culture. But, but like what I was just saying, as she goes back, Celtic, classical, Neolithic, Paleolithic. But in terms mm-hmm. of Ireland and the flowering of that, even um, the Celtic church, you know, the women had, uh, women could be priests, women could get divorced. Uh, there, there was a much more uh, power that women had and in Celtic culture until Rome tried to uh, f- consolidate its power and do away with the Celtic church. So, But they also have the earlier um, myths and stories and sculptural traditions of just powerful women in their culture. So it, mm-hmm. so there's many ateliers of, of Irish masons creating these, uh, uh, these figures. The, some scholars like Eamon P. Kelly, who is a keeper of antiquities of the uh, Irish Museum, National Museum, he, he thinks he knows the names of some of the masons who carved these, these figures. So it's, Oh, wow. It's, it's that culture. It's flowering out of that culture. And right, again, right, it's right. a myth too, like Dodurga's hostel. Dodurga comes to the um, hotel or hostel and she's described with lower lips that come down to her knees and she's a hag. So it, it's, it, and of course, many stories of the goddess of sovereignty. So it's in the myths, it's in the sculptural traditions. And, and that's partly why. There's so many in Ireland, and Sheila are really a rural phenomena. They're mostly in the countryside, so you have this tremendous pagan populace in a way viewing the mm-hmm. Sheilas. Nice, right? Yeah, yeah. How does that? Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Don. I, I think um, sort of a similar question to what Sean was asking, um, but getting around it to a, another for, from another angle is the differentiation between the or or the the tradition of the sacred display that also leads into the shilas that the shilas are are in many ways a part of that tradition of the sacred display um but the the tradition of the sacred display that's what goes all the way back to the paleolithic the neolithic um but the Sheilas themselves are um, a specific subset of that that appeared, as you say, in medieval times in this certain uh, region of the world. Exactly. Is that correct? Right. Um, You know, whether, I mean, some, I don't know if I would say there was, let me just say in the Paleolithic caves, there are females and you see their vulvas. And then there's also abstractly just vulvas there as a synecdoche apart to represent the whole of the great creatrix. But um, certainly throughout uh, other parts of European history, there are there is display. But the idea, and, and also there's sacred display all around the world, which I, I take in the book. You know, I show figures like, you know, Kali, really, or Dulakai, or uh, in in Gabon and Mali, uh, display figures guarding entrances. So it's all in Oceania. It's all over the world. It's in uh, the rock paintings of Australia. So sacred display is just a recognition that throughout most of our history, how human culture has viewed female sexual display as an image of sanctity. So my friend Marie, um, 
Miriam Robbins Dexter coined that term and wrote a book, Sacred Display. And what it is, it's an assertion of the sacredness of the female body. It's a reversal of the patriarchal narrative that demonizes the female body. So in a way, I know you all are devoted to play and wit. It's sort of a witty thing to say sacred display, you know, and it's an assertion. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of a, a, you know, it's, it's in some ways it's like a, you know, I get your sacred right here type of thing. (laughs) You want sacred? There you go. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. How, how was that sacred display? So let's, let's talk about the, you said this is mostly a rural phenomenon. So how are these Sheila's, how is it part of the, the culture? How did the people in, medieval Europe and medieval British Isles, how did they interact with this? What was, how was it received? How was it part of their culture? How did they utilize this, this symbol? I would say that the way they viewed the Sheilas was with reverence, with reverence and awe of a supernatural figure that, um, that in a recognition, they could see their goddesses, their culture, in this goddess. The first time I ever went to Ireland, of course, I'd seen Sheila's my sitting here in my desk in Santa Monica. But the first time I went to Ireland, I was so excited. I was going to see my first Sheila in County Clare and killing a boy. And I was walking up to the church, an old ruined church. Uh, and there were some workers in the road and they said, ah, you're going to see our Sheila in the gig. I said, oh yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. He said, the Christians put her in to bring in the pagans. <laughs> so I thought that was very funny. Just <laughs> wisdom. But I'm saying they would recognize her as the goddess. They would recognize her as a figure who could help them in their lives. The Sheilas could help them. They were used uh, for protection. The Sheilas have many powers, but the greatest power is Apotropaea, <clears throat> their guardians, they're guardians of entrances. They're liminals. They guard the inside and out. But of course, the vulva is is a a, a marker way between inside and out realities. So she is used as protection against the evil eye. She's placed by windows, by doors, on castle walls. Castle hags were put high up in the castle to repel enemies. So the greatest thing she does is she can protect you, and but she can also heal. To this very day, people go to Sheila's and offer candles or money and offer prayers. Uh, They go to the holy. Sheila's are often by holy wells, and they'll go there praying to help them, and they'll leave prayers or little cluties, you know, tying tying cloth. So the Sheila's have many powers and also powers of life. They're connected with birth. Um, Mothers would ask their aid during birthing times, and the Sheila's were regarded as a cosmological center, the vulva, which is, of course, an image of creation at par excellence, to help mm-hmm. them um, with the fertility of the fields or the creation of all life. So, and they also have connections to death. Some of them are tombstones. Some of them, they all, many of them look out over churchyards. And of course, uh, the Bishop of Kildare has a shield and a gig on his tombstone. So there's many, many things, and there's many folklore traditions connected with the Sheilas. Like uh, one scholar, Edith Guest, was writing about in the early 1930s, we'll say, and talking to this rural woman, and she's saying that 
there were living shielding gigs, elderly women who would lift their skirts and expose themselves to protect people from the evil eye. So basically, they would look at Sheila's thing with recognition and reverence. Living Sheila's, I think, might be trouble in contemporary Southern California. But- <laughs> oh man! Except, <laughs> except I now I now have a life goal. I think I think I need to uh, bring back bring back living the, Sheila, the living, living Sheila Sheila's. tradition. You there bet. You go. <laughs> I remind you of the Portland, Portland Sheila gig. Remember a couple months ago, that woman sat down naked, yes. exposed herself, and disarmed oh, true. the yeah. police. And they turned around, and some people said, "Oh, that's pornographic." Oh, it's just that. No, she was the living Sheila gig with the power of life of her sacred vulva, in a totally sacred act, disarmed violence of protection. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. She was protecting the protesters. Yep. From the the police in their riot gear and their yeah oh my yeah, goodness nice. yeah amazing throwback yeah I can tell you <laughs> oh. Sheila Nagig lives <laughs> this is another star, example star, because I know uh-huh. to like wit uh, it's a 2012 Republican convention Code Pink I, well actually they're near you Sean Code Pink in Venice Women for Peace they dressed as vulvas of walking vulvas and they had a sign read my lips and the war on women and they went to the nice wow he loved it and they were laughing and so it was really you know in the spirit of play and theater but getting back to your best question i feel because of all the threads going back to the whole civilization of the goddess the sheilas would have been recognized by the rural people as part of them Wow, that is a, that's amazing. Because what I'm thinking too, and we talked a little bit about it before we started, was I wonder how the church, you know, uh, how the Catholic Church, which was the single church of Christendom right. at that point, how was how did that how was that integrated? Since these are on churches, and we've talked about faith before, and I'm Catholic, and I'm always curious about how the divine, the female divine, is tied in there. How did the church handle? I mean, how they you you, you tell the the funny story of the, the the person in the rural area who says that's how they brought people in. But how did they – was there a formal way the church handled these Sheilas? Were they like, okay, this represents – this image represents X? Or were they just sort of like, okay, yeah, put that thing up there, but nobody say anything about it? Well, I can't say – go ahead, Don. Did you want to say something? No, no. I'm just giggling at the put that thing up there, but don't say anything about it. <laughs> well – this killing a boy Sheila that I was telling you about is probably 13th, 14th century church. And she is over the main entrance to the church. She's just impossible to miss. So you can just imagine people on their way to mass and, you know, having to, you know, pass between her parted legs. So at first there was a tolerance by the church because it had about, like I said, about a 500 year window. So at first there was a tolerance of, you know, because the Catholic Church is known, very well known for its secretism to, you know, encompass things, to to bring more people into the flock by by bringing in the local cultures and the, the um, in some ways, I'm just, I'm being very broad, but that 
No, I know exactly. We, there's a lot of uh, you know feast traditions, and I'm saying this as a Catholic that we know has a connection to earlier other faith traditions. So yeah, the, the Catholic but, Church, you know, all, that all the holidays are on the sacred, you know, Christmas solstice, winter solstice, spring um, resurrection. So, uh, and also because there were tr- the tradition of the Celtic Church in there too which was a bit different and much more tolerant. So they were tolerated and they were, like I said, more rural and they, they were put up and uh, for centuries, for centuries, they were uh, just part of the culture. But then uh, as all things end, when there was the counter-reformation and the threat to the church, then around the 17th century, then they quit being tolerated. And started taking so, them down and trying to some of them burn, but sometimes the people would protest and had to have them put back up. So, so they thought of it then once the Counter Reformation began. Uh, it was like you know with Martin Luther. Uh, mm-hmm. with- no, I'm just wondering, but they they associated with that kind of now suddenly it represented something that was counter to the church faith because there was this new movement threat. called Protestant Protestantism. Yeah, this threat. threat. Coming and also, oh. you had this whole Gaelic culture. Like Eamon P. Kelly, when I met him, he said, "You know, the English first invaded us in the 12th century, but they didn't destroy us till like the 16th and 17th century." When you have Cromwell coming in and invading, you know, Elizabeth Elizabethan England, and then Cromwell coming in in the uh, 17th century and really shattering the Celtic culture, and then you have all that implantation of. Uh, Protestants coming in. So the culture became uh, under duress. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I could see how that would that would uh, spur them to sort of circle the wagons, as it were, yeah. and uh, double down on what it meant to be Catholic. And, uh, and that would produce this, this um, spirit of intolerance about the pagan traditions. Yes. What are the different Sheilas look like? I've seen different pictures. There's some, I mean, many of them, like the Kilpeck one, uh, they're almost almost abstract. But then there, there's one I saw in Milan. Or a vulva to you when you look at the Kilpeck Sheila. I will I will affirm that that looks like a vulva. Just saying, it looks like a vulva, not a. No problem with that. But what's interesting though is seeing that, and then there is a there is a representation and I guess some church in Milan that I just saw just looking through the, some of the Google images that was almost photorealistic of the woman you know, exposing her vulva. So there's like this range of like styles. So it seems, or is, or is it more, is that, is that regional? Or is that temporal? You know, did it change over time? Just it the look change of it. Over time, I would say two things. One, uh, I call, what is a Sheila Nagig? I say a Sheila Nagig is a figure between the 12th and 17th century in the British Isles in Ireland. Yes, there are display figures all around the world. Like, I don't know if that one you're uh. looking at is Porta Milan. She's holding a knife. She's standing by the door, by one of the gates. Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, there's two things. Because it's an archetype, that's a universal energy that can appear anywhere through time and space, but it takes on a local coloring. So I would say the Sheila gigs are a local coloring, a sacred display in 
Ireland and in the British Isles. And at first they're okay. smaller, like like the Kilpeck is um, this beautiful Romanesque church, just a gem of a church on a corbel table, in other words, on a bracket with 80 other figures. But then later, over the centuries, she takes on more of the menace and heft of the Irish sculptural traditions. The Irish, you have these these um, exhibitionist figure motif like the um, Kilpeck. But then over time, she takes on uh, the coloring of the Irish culture, and she becomes not one of 80 figures, but the only figure on the church, the only figure over the door or by the window. So, And she becomes uh, larger and more menacing. Because the Kilpeck, she looks kind of mm. a cheerful little imp, you know. But uh, So in time, she reaches to me her apotheosis in Ireland. And, and, and she changes in her um, size, and menace but the sheilas like any i mean they are artwork they are images i mean they're rough hewn as hamlet would say <laughs> but they all have individual characters based on the masons or artists who created them except they all have to be displaying their vulva mm. yeah yeah the so I think their own particular flair. A Sheila, that's I just wouldn't call her a Sheila. I'd call her an exhibitionist figure. Okay, so so the Sheilas are a specific. Uh, so what what just a, out of just curiosity, all right, do, is there something to these exhibitionist figures in other parts of Europe? Uh, do they seem to come out of the Sheila tradition, or is it just this? I would know, say they come out of the Sheila sort of tradition. Connected. They come out of their own local indigenous. Because again, the vulva is a is a pattern of energy in the human psyche, so it's going to appear all over the world. Although often, in the third part of my book, I talk about it, often they have very similar functions of protection and and uh, creation and uh, healing. So they have very very similar functions, and some of them look a little like Sheila's, but the main thing is is that they have a display and that the because the power of the Sheilas are rooted in their display, are rooted in the image of the vulva and the power of the vulva. So there's, uh, because again, it's an archetype, there'll be a coloring all around the world. And even in the centuries that the Sheilas were made in Ireland and in England, Wales and Scotland, they change and again become more massive. So, um, the local colors have the, yeah. they have their own traditions, but I'm just more of a stickler of what I would call healing. To me, they're an Irish. <laughs> you know. But yeah, I say worship. But yes, yeah. I mean, there you go. There you go. Yeah, the, I mean the the vulva is the is the portal between you know that that life comes out of. So that is something that is universal to the the human well to mammalian uh that's true life i mm-hmm. guess yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you know that uh, all mammals also um you know give give live birth so yeah so that is that is something that is not by any means um you know limited to one geographical area and would find expression in a bunch of different ways, depending on the culture that, that uh, I, I is just doing the expressing. A local coloring of the archetype of display. 
You know, you have nice, an archetype. Nice. Joseph Campbell would say there's the archetype, the universality of the archetype, and then there's the local coloring. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The local mode of expression. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your book and where can people get it and, um, and you know, how can we get a hold of this wonderful study of Sheila's? Okay. Well, my book is a labor of love that was decades in the making. And I went to Ireland and British Isles many times. I first saw my first Sheila, which was the Kilpeck Sheila, which, of course, is the most well-known Sheila. In 1984, someone showed me an image and said, oh, I think you'll like this. And, of course, I was stunned and mesmerized by the power of the image, that the wholeness of that image that could incorporate such opposites. And I didn't know what I was in for, but like I said at the beginning, I did fall in love. And what could be better than that? Um and then <laughs> I just, through a process of writing things and came to write this book, and I finally got a book contract, and then it took me three years to write it. It came out a couple of years ago. And then other things happened, like a pandemic and things like that. Right, right. right. Um, you can get my book at my website, stargoody.com. And I know if people are on this site, they'll know how to spell my name. It's 10 letters, stargoody, which is, anyway, stargoody. And yes. you can get it through the <laughs> publisher. And if you go to my website, you'll see many images of Sheila's and a lot of information about Sheila's. Uh, yes. And yeah. you can get It'll it through the publisher. Wet your appetite for the book. Yeah, definitely. And we can get it through the picture, Inner Traditions, which is a great title, Inner Traditions. And mm -hmm. I, I so hesitate to say it, but you can get it, the A word, Amazon. <laughs> we understand. You can get it through the evil empire, but we suggest that you go through the publisher or STARS website instead. My website will point you to where you can get it. There you go. Um, we'll there we'll put go. that information in the in the descriptor. I do have a particular question about the contemporary era before we wrap things up. What sure. I'm interested in too is things you've said about you know the idea that this symbol um, it, it was the honoring of the vulva, and then we have the demonization of the female that that, that female body and the reproductive organs and things throughout patriarchy, in particular in the modern modern times as we move towards our current era what do you see now as the status if you will of you know how we look at women's bodies how we look at the vulva how we look at the this particular um form of reverence you know where what how are we expressing it now what do you see in our culture well i see that of course i had my good and bad days of hope and um despair but one of the things the pandemic showed us is that we are really completely connected and hopefully we are at a turning point to change some of the institutions of our culture but i think there's a flowering of the goddess i've seen it you know in the past couple of decades and like i say the return of the goddess it's just like almost as a necessity for our survival that she has returned not that she's ever completely gone away because without we can't survive without our instincts, without our body. It's just she can go underground in myth and art, 
um, but we can't do away with her energy because without nature, there is no life. So and with this awareness now of ecology and, and uh, the return of pagan traditions and the sense of the sacredness of the natural world, I think all those things are coming. And again, the Portland Sheila gig, <laughs> that's so fantastic, or just these words coming back in the culture. And of course, people always send me things. Oh, Dawn, I, I, I don't know if you looked it up. In mm-hmm. Doonesbury. I did, yes. The Doonesbury cartoon, yes. Yeah, in Doonesbury. That's wonderful. They mentioned someone's getting their vaccine and they get distracted or they go to give her a vaccine. She goes, I'm protected by the Shilinigigs. You know, so this is in Doonesbury. You know? so, so a lot of people sent me that. And um, again, the vagina monologues. And Eve Ensler just renamed herself V. Uh, in my book, uh, like even the work of Amy Schumer, like she'll bring, I just think those words are in the culture now, like the word patriarchy. I began my feminism decades ago. We, I mean, certainly we were using that word, but there's a real consciousness of that now, of we live in a patriarchy. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that this image of the Sheila will help us dethrone the image of the war god because cosmological images legitimate political systems. So I'm hoping with these images mm. of the goddess coming forth that we have a different um, uh, reverence for how we see the world. I mean, do we see uh, Peggy Reeves Sande, who wrote a book on the Menanka Bao, uh, one of the largest matriarchal cultures in uh, Indonesia, she said that um, you know what what is what how are we seeing the um, what sex is imbuing the reproductive powers that charge the supernatural fecundity? What is the gender dominance of the symbols tying the archetypal to the social? Because make no mistake, it's not mm. just. Again, cosmological images empower social systems. So I'm hoping with these images coming up of the goddess and that that is, there's no denying it's part of the zeitgeist, that we can shift what we worship. Okay. Nice, nice. That's a good spot. I, I had yeah. uh, mentioned, Star, we talked about the one thing more, one more thing uh, that we usually end with. And I think that's a good one more thing, probably, yes. for for everything, just being able to, bring the goddess back into the zeitgeist. So uh, I want to thank you very much for this conversation, which has been amazing. I had a lot of fun and you, you all ask such great questions. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, thank you for, uh, for, you know, uh, keeping with the spirit of play of the, the, both your, your research and this podcast. We definitely, we definitely um, find that, ideas introduced um as playful are uh are much more appealing and you know one of the things that um uh that amy uh oh goodness i've forgotten her name her middle name amy marie brown i think is her name but um she says you know feminism needs to be irresistible it needs to be so much fun yeah. So much fun that it just becomes irresistible, and uh, and I think want to be delighted. Uh, her, yeah, yeah. 
So, um, I so I think the Sheilas are, are part of that tradition of, of just playful irresistibility. So. Oh, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Right. And Wonderful. Thank, and thank you, Dawn. And always. thank you, Sean. And thank you, Star. You're very welcome. And thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. We've been talking with Star Goody about the Sheila gig, and we will be back soon for more. Take care. Take care, everyone, and blessed be. Blessed be. Blessed be.